0: love having those uh, city names pronounced with the correct accent. Uh, I'm just going to pause every time I get to a city name and I'm just going to throw it to Con. <laughs> um, hey, thanks very much for the invite. Um, it's been really obvious to me sitting in the last, uh, what have been, been almost an hour. Uh, and it's been very clear to me that uh, the Spirit of God has been uh, working here uh, and that the Spirit of God has been preparing uh, what I've done during the week, and I haven't sort of consulted anyone about this, um, to fit in what, with what you guys have been saying, where you guys are at as a church, and uh, I haven't been able to stop smiling uh, as I've listened to um, you guys talk about uh, Jesus and the opportunities that you've had and, and where you're at as a church and what your leadership is talking about, and that'll become obvious to you. Uh, in a second, I've also really enjoy, enjoyed uh, listening to uh, the past few sermons. and I don't know the faces that I've been listening to. Who's Raf? Is that yeah? Okay, so Raf, Raf had to fill in for Robbie, and uh, so but uh, Raf, you did a great job. Thanks for two weeks in a row. And who is Brett? Uh, Brett, thanks last week. That was not an easy topic to tackle, um, but I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, the agenda for today. I come from the business world, so i talk about agendas. Um, rather than three points, I'm going to say I've got two, but the second one has got two in it, so really it's three. The, my agenda for today is really talk about two things that come up out of this passage and that just came out and leapt at me straight away. And those two things are, first of all, uh, divine guidance, listening to the Holy Spirit, Um, I want to talk about that. What does that even mean? What does it look like? What does that sound like? Um, What are we supposed to do with that? How how do we we wrestle with that issue? Um, It's easy to talk about being spirit-led, and then it's easy to go home and think, I wonder if I am that. Uh, I wonder if I will ever be that. Um, What is it supposed to look like? How do I make some progress there? Um, The other thing I want to talk about is sharing Jesus. And I want to talk about that as, um, in Robbie's words, uh, one of the fundamentals of church, or the fundamental of church. So we're going to tackle those two things uh, in that order. So if you've got your Bible, it will be helpful for you to have it there at Acts 16, but I'm not going to read the passage again um, because Conn did such a great job with his native tongue on all those tricky words. First of all, let's talk about responding to the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, after church, it's common, you know, to have uh, people come up to the speaker and say, Oh, thanks very much for your message. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I witnessed um, a pastor uh, be thanked one day. And he said, uh, Sorry, the lady said to him, Pastor, that was such a lovely message. Really appreciated the word. And he said, Oh, thanks, but, you know, it was really the work of the Holy Spirit. She looked at him and said, I'm not sure if it was that good. <laughs> Um, in these early verses, we actually see the the work of the Holy Spirit in three really distinct ways, uh, or in three three times it's mentioned, um, and both preventative and propelling them. Um, so, first of all, we see that uh, we see mention that uh, the Holy Spirit prevented Paul and his companions from going into the province of Asia, uh, and so they travelled to other places instead. Secondly, we're told. That they tried to enter uh, Bithynia. How am I going, Con? But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do that. And so they kept on going and they ended up at a place called Troas. And then, thirdly, while they're at Troas, overnight, Paul has a vision of a Macedonian Macedonian man saying, Come over to Macedonia. And they regard that as a call from God, they regard that as a vision given to them by the Holy Spirit. And as an aside, you'll notice that the language changes right at this point. And instead of saying Paul this, Paul that, we start to see we, we got ready, we went, we, uh, we spoke. Uh, and so the, the conclusion by most scholars is that Luke has joined the party at this point in time. Um, the Holy Spirit is interacting with these guys and guiding their decisions, uh, preventing them from taking some paths propelling them to take other paths now i don't know about you i've never actually had god speak to me in an audible voice it just has never happened to me neither have i had a dream that i believe has been a message given to me by god that might be different for you. I'm not suggesting that God doesn't use those things uh, today, but based on anecdotal feedback about the Christians from the Christians that I mix with, I expect most of you will be in my camp. Uh, I've never heard a voice, uh, whether from the clouds or anywhere else, and I don't necessarily think I've ever had a vision or a dream given to me by God where it was clear to me that that was uh, a direction or a call. Now. If that's the case for you, I want to ask the question for you that I've asked myself. So what do I do with this? How do I look at these passages and say, God, how can you teach me something out of this passage if this has not been by my experience? Is God telling us we need to listen hard for a voice? It's really, really soft, so go somewhere quiet. Is he saying get more sleep, then you'll have better dreams? Is he saying uh, you really need to interpret the wacky dreams that you have and try to bring out God's message from them? I don't think so, necessarily. Um, But the question is there, what do we make of these verses? How do we take a leaf out of uh, the pages of Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and how do we make sure that we are responding to the Holy Spirit? How do I tell the difference between the prompting of the Holy Spirit and a zany idea that popped into my head because I'm over-caffeinated. They are all good questions, and I want to go through, I guess, some of those issues uh, in, a, in a relatively structured fashion. So first of all, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit briefly. God promises the Holy Spirit to those who believe in Jesus. Straight up and simple. It's not The Holy Spirit is not an experience. The Holy Spirit is a person. And we see multiple times in Acts that those who put their faith in Jesus receive the Holy Spirit. There was no precondition apart from faith in Jesus. There was no spiritual maturity level that had to be achieved before that would happen. It was God's way of, uh, I guess, endorsing the fact that he had accepted Gentiles. You remember when they had a bit of a conflab about Jews and Gentiles Uh, And I think, uh, Raph, you might have talked about this council in Jerusalem. and, And some people said, hey, we've seen God's spirit come onto the Gentiles. We think God is approving this. God is endorsing these people. He has accepted them into his family. But this is more than just having the Holy Spirit in these verses. We're actually now looking at, Guidance of the Holy Spirit. We're looking not just at the presence of the Holy Spirit, but the work of the Holy Spirit. The second issue I want to, uh, or the second truth or fact that I want to just lay out there is that it's easy to think about the Holy Spirit as some kind of mystical thing whose agenda is very hard to understand and for whom strange and wacky is not that strange and wacky. I think that is unhelpful. I think we need to remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the same one true God. We don't talk about God the Father for whom we expect certain sets of um, truths and behaviours and ways of working. Jesus, who uh, has seen and his life was recorded for us, or a large The the significant part of his ministry was recorded. And then the Holy Spirit, for whom anything goes. It's not the case. They're all three, one person, all on the same mission, all with the same agenda, all with the same love of you, all with the same hatred of sin, all with the same compassion for the lost, and so on. The Bible describes three separate persons, but the Spirit is no less... God. We come collectively, we come from a Christian tradition where it's easy and has been more common to downplay the role of the Holy Spirit, possibly to counteract those others who upplay it a bit too much. Um, And so we have God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Bible. Um, But the Holy Spirit is God. If we are God worshippers, we need to acknowledge the existence of the Holy Spirit. And acknowledge His work. We get it here in 16 verse six. It talks about the Holy Spirit. in what words? The spirit of Jesus it talks about that. Spirit is on the same plan, the same agenda, the same desires for you and I as God the Father and Jesus. Third, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit plays numerous roles. And I'm not going to go into all of those now. Uh, people have written voluminous books about the work of the Holy Spirit, and I don't need to try to replicate that in the next five minutes. But what I will tell you this, those roles of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit as God's presence with us, the Bible relates those roles primarily to our mind, our ability to understand truth and to know what to say and our will, the things that motivates our decision-making. The Holy Spirit has primarily, the Bible describes the role of the Holy Spirit to do with our mind and our will. That's significant. The Bible doesn't suggest for us to look uh, for supernatural interference to our travel plans in order to know the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that he works on our mind and he works on our will. Fourth, this kind of guidance by the Holy Spirit was relatively rare even in these days. Other other forms of guidance uh, that the Spirit employed uh, for the early church uh, were also common. Um, So I suppose what I'm trying to illustrate here is that um, this vision uh, of a man from Macedonia and so on we have some of those recorded, but you imagine how many mission trips uh, were going out, how many people from the churches were witnessing uh, in the places where they were. The v- events that we have recorded here are relatively rare. They are the minority, not the majority. And again, I want to say if we are thinking that we're not spirit led until we see supernatural visions or we hear um, or we have supernatural interference um, by some miraculous circumstance, then we're kind of looking for the exception rather than the rule. Other things that God employed to guide the decision-making of the early church were casting lots, Old Testament scripture. They consulted God's word. They consulted other Christians. They talked to other believers and they said, Hey, what do you think? I value your wisdom on this. Uh, Sometimes they were directed by circumstances and sometimes they even had people speak up and directly prophesy. I have a message from God. I believe he's telling me this. Fifth, Paul and his fellow missionaries did not have to ask the Holy Spirit to guide them as to what was God's will. I know that's a little bit of an edgy statement. Paul and his companions didn't actually ask what was God's will. They already knew what their mission was. Their mission was to be Christ's witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Their mission was already clear. So they weren't asking for guidance. Dear Lord, please let us know if today you would like us to testify to the word of God, to testify to the gospel of Jesus and to tell anyone. Let us know if that's what you want. If it's not, that's fine. We'll stay home and play Xbox. That was not their prayer. Their prayer was, if it's not here, God, where is it? And so they were moving. They were going and they were taking every opportunity that they had to do exactly what they knew they had to do. The Holy Spirit was Kind of steering it. I, I imagine it a little bit like uh, when you go ten-pin bowling, and you know you have those the big long what do they call it? The aisle. The uh, yeah, and you have the bumpers, yeah? yeah. The bumpers are no good until you've bowled the ball and started it moving, Alright? The bumper's not going to help you at all if you just say, "I wonder where I should throw the ball." You know, you know where. You go this way, and if you're a little slightly off course, the bumper goes bonk, and then bonk, and you know more often than not you strike something. Ooh. You strike something if you've got bumpers helping you. Uh, but, if you never bowl a ball, the bumpers are there, but they 're not really doing you any good. I, I kind of feel that way about us uh, sharing the gospel and being guided uh, in our decision making in our Christian lives. I kind of feel like we have to start rolling and then listen for the or feel the bump of the bumper. Uh, If we stay stagnant and say, I wonder what God has for me, we kind of already have that answered for us. God already has something for us. And so the question is just, you know, will I get rolling? And will I listen when God gives me a bump here or a bump there? There is no shortage of opportunities for us to share the gospel. Uh, We just actually got to make a start on that. Sixth and last, I think there is a difference between direct opposition and things just being hard. Uh, or oh, sorry, there's a difference between things being hard or opposition, and the Spirit saying no. Okay, so when when Paul uh, was preaching the gospel, he said this. He says the Spirit of God prevented us. From entering into Asia, and so we went elsewhere. Now they took that as God saying no, uh, but you know, plenty of other places they faced incredible hardship. Uh, and if you want to read about those, uh, well, I'm thinking that you probably come across some of them: um, the stonings, and the mobbing, and the um, and the political interference, the jailing, the whipping. Um, But funnily enough, they didn't say, oh, God must be telling us to stop preaching. Things were incredibly hard, that incredible opposition. Uh, But it wasn't that that they took as God saying no. They knew already that there was going to be hardship. They knew already that they would have opposition. They knew that this would not be an easy path. But they knew also how to distinguish between what was hard or what was opposition and what God was say, no, move on. The presence of hardship, the presence of opposition is not our indicator for God's spirit saying, no, move on. That's not the test. We know that. So if that's the case, what is? What is the test? How do we know if we're submitting our decisions to the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a few pointers. These are not from uh, any sort of genius theologian or anything like that. These are just me. Um, So take them in that context, (laughs) please. Um, First of all, pointer number one. Your decision is the subject of prayer, both personal and corporate. Your decisions if they're to be guided by the Spirit, need to be the subject of prayer, both personal and corporate. If you are as a church, and this is where I've kind of just loved watching what was on the screen earlier today, if you are as a church deciding where is it that God wants us to share the gospel, who is it that we are well served, we're well placed to serve with the gospel, Uh, then those decisions need to be the subject of prayer, both personal and corporate. As a church, collectively, we pray for that. God guide us. Not if. Oh, let us know if you want to share share with the lost. No, it's it's where and who. Secondly, personally, that ought to be our prayer on a regular basis. As a as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, hey, I've been left behind for a reason. It's to go make disciples. And so my prayer for myself needs to be, Lord, who is it? Where are they? Open my eyes. Give me a bit of a slap in the face so that I will wake up and see it. Secondly, if your decisions are to be guided by the Holy Spirit, they will line up with Scripture and God's revealed will. I don't know if you've ever come across someone uh, who, in their sort of desperation to f- pursue a certain path, uh, I'm sure some of you have heard this before, they say, I really believe God is telling me X, X, uh, And you kind of think to yourself, well, that's convenient. Um, X doesn't seem that great an idea to me and I can see a few holes in that theory. Oh, but you know, who are you to say what God's telling me? Your decisions, if they are spirit-led, will line up with the scripture and with God's revealed will. Now, God's revealed will is not that complicated. Okay? It is to share the gospel, to live out the gospel, and to... Try to become like Christ, to let God's Spirit turn us into something that looks more like Jesus. And if a decision of you or someone else is taking them away from those things, then it's not a Spirit-led decision. That's a pretty simple way to view it. Um, if we are wanting us, if we are sort of checking in, I guess, on what it looks like, um, a decision that is being led by the Spirit will line up. And if it is in contrast that it clashes with what God has said about himself or about the things that bring him honour, then someone's got to call it out. In a similar vein, you, uh, thirdly, your decisions are furthering God's mission. So if you are making a decision about, let's say, where to live, uh, I'd really love to have a small group meeting in my home. I'd also really love to have a townhouse in Camberwell. And if I, have, if I buy a townhouse in Camberwell, it will not have a lounge big enough to have any more than about five people at once. Now, I, right there, I have a direct contest. Do I want, what do I want more? Do I want the townhouse more, or do I want to serve God with my home and have a small group in my home? Big contest? Not an easy one to wrestle through, but the answer is relatively straightforward. I just have to choose which one. And one of those decisions, if I'm convinced that I'm supposed to be running a small group, one of those decisions is going to further God's mission and one of them is not. Fourthly, your decision is God-honouring. And simply that means it causes others to think more highly of God than they did before. God-honouring, it means to cause people to think more highly of God than they did before. Now, this really comes up in the rub when we have uh, decisions that uh, are kind of judgment calls. You know, your boss has a go at you for something that you didn't do. How do you react? Now, if you're like me, I'm going to say, hey, 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 back off, buddy. It was not me. But the way that I respond to that is going to have one of two reactions. It's either going to cause them to think that Andy is aggro and doesn't like being poked or they're going to think, wow, this, this, this way that Andy responds, even when he's unjustly accused, it's really noticeable. It's different to others. And I'm probably be going to put it down to the fact that he says he's a Christian and now I see it coming out. You know, he doesn't go back on the offensive. Our decisions, if they're spirit-led, will cause people to think more highly of God than they did before. Lastly, number five. Your decision requires faith in God, not just skills and money. Now, this is kind of where I have the real struggle. Okay, so I like to make decisions I say, I know I can achieve this. and I've got the resources to do it myself, even if no one else backs me up. And so, and I know that you know this will this will be good for the church. This will be good for the uh, Christians or the non Christians around me. I'm going to do it. And when it's done, who gets the pat on the back? It's me. My my decisions in that context, I need. I personally need to really keep myself in check to ask myself, Am I doing this because I know that I can do it? Is that my decision? Am I doing one of two things. Am I deciding only those things that I can achieve and therefore am I limiting God or am I making decisions where I will get the credit instead of God getting the credit? Whichever one of those is true, neither of those are being led by the Spirit. Now I've been in those uncomfortable circumstances where you think, okay, I know which way we're going to go, but I have no idea how it's going to happen and it's terribly uncomfortable uncomfortable for me. I'm a guy who likes to operate in the world of, I know what's going to happen and I know that I'm going to pull it off. You just all watch. That's that's where I like to play. But when my decisions are being spirit led, they are going beyond just me, my skills and my funds, or we, our skills and our funds. And they're saying, God, like so many people in the Bible who put themselves right out there and the only way that it was going to come off was if God stepped in and I could stand for the rest of it. I could do another African half an hour and we could talk about all those examples in the bible people who put themselves right out there that's actually the exercise of faith that's listening to the spirit that is responding and say god we're going to step out and you're going to have to be the bridge that appears under our foot times rushing Let me ask you a handful of questions before I move on and talk about sharing Jesus. Corporately and personally, are my decisions God-honouring? Are they causing others to think more highly of God than they did before? Corporately or personally, where is God leading us? Where is God leading us? Not if, not if the gospel, but where and to who. And am I getting mixed up, maybe, between something that is a hardship or something that is a no, move on? I dare you to ask this question, either to your spouse or to your fellow elders or your fellow leaders, ask this question what do you think God is preparing me for or what do you think God is preparing us for it's a scary thought to put that in the hands of someone else and say wife what do you think God is preparing me for and then listen what to say to your fellow elders what do you think God is preparing us for Sharing Jesus. John Stott said these words, which I found very helpful. Before Christ sent the church into the world, he sent the spirit into the church. Before Christ sent the church into the world, he spent, sent the spirit into the church. The first thing that we see here in in relation to Uh, sharing Jesus is that these guys are following the Spirit. They are listening, they're guided, and they're also making decisions on the way. They are relying on both the circumstances and the the mission. They know what their mission is about, but they're also relying on those bumpers to say, not here, not there, move on. Uh, And they're taking opportunities. So Paul and his crew uh, arrive in Philippi, And they go down to the river. It's not like they uh, ask around. Um, you know, Does anyone want to hear the gospel here? Uh, this is a kind of compulsion of theirs. They're on this mission. It is the very thing that they have come for. And so our question, as our, our calling as a church, cannot be if the gospel, but only who and where and how. And when we talk about a how, this is a great model actually that Paul has displayed for us. And he does this multiple times in Acts. He actually says, or he shows us um, how it is that he went about finding people who would be open. First of all, where did he typically go when he got to a city? Anyone? A synagogue. A synagogue. Why a synagogue? Yeah, yeah. So there were people who knew the one true God. Uh, they knew all of the Old Testament. And he could say, well, let me take what you know. Let me show you this thread of the plan of salvation. Let me show you where it landed. It's Jesus. He kind of had low-hanging fruit in synagogues. But he gets to Philippi and he doesn't have a synagogue. Uh, typically, I think a synagogue uh, required a quorum of 10 men. Uh, and they didn't have 10 Jewish men in Philippi, obviously. Uh, so there's no synagogue there. But it was common for people to gather outside the city if they were uh, Juda- Judaistic believers They would commonly gather on the Sabbath and pray together. And so Paul goes looking for that place. He says, we weren't looking for a place where we would expect to find people praying. And he finds them there. He finds a group of women. And I love the fact that Uh, The first European convert that we've got recorded in the Bible is a businesswoman. Uh, Sorry, she's a woman and she's out of business. She's not a Jewish man. Um, It gives us a great kind of diversity uh, in the the people that are following Jesus. (coughs) Paul goes there and he speaks with those women and who is it that opens... Lydia's heart. It is God who opens Lydia's heart. It's not Paul convincing her. In fact, afterwards, it's Lydia convincing them that she's genuine. Um, but when Paul speaks and they share the gospel with him, that's them just being obedient. They are not doing the argument. They are not um, listening to every objection and then f- coming up with, you know, a point of contention to every objection. He simply lays it out there. Here's the gospel. Here's the Jesus. Here is the answer to what you have actually been talking about. Lydia was probably a Judah. A, what do they call it? A, a Jewish convert. She was a convert to Judaism. Um, she was not Jewish herself, um, but she had come to believe in the one true God. And and Paul is able to lay it out for her and say, He's Jesus. He's the answer to all this stuff that you've been talking about. Secondly, when we look at uh, the way that Paul handled this opportunity, we see that he doesn't he doesn't have a sort of come and get it attitude to the gospel. He doesn't say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build this massive church in Antioch and once a quarter we're going to have a huge conference and people are going to come from all over the world and they're going to come and they're going to be blessed and they're going to go home And I don't mind what they do because I'll start planning the next conference after that. He doesn't have a come and get it. In fact, out of the three people that we see uh, in Philippi, we see uh, Lydia, a wealthy businesswoman. We see a slave girl, poor and demon-possessed. And we see a a, a Roman jailer who would have been a pretty harsh guy, tough. We see all three of them come to... We also, three of them come to Christ without walking into a synagogue, without walking into a church. All they did was hear the gospel. None of them got saved by walking into a church. Now, I'm not saying stop inviting your friends to church. It's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying this. In the corners of our world, we have people who are ready to hear the gospel They're struggling with guilt or they're struggling with their identity or they're wondering why it is that my life goes terrible and yours yours seems to go terrible but it doesn't affect you. How is it that you see everything in your life through this prism that colours your world? They want to hear the gospel. Can I just take two minutes and share this experience with you? I have a girl at work, she works in... uh, She used to work in human rights. She now works in workplace relations. And she works with a lot of Christian organisations, churches, Christian schools, but she's not a Christian. In fact, uh, she's far from it. Uh, In her past work, she used to prosecute Christian organisations for human rights violations uh, in terms of discrimination and so on. Uh, in the Australian context. And so, to my surprise, she came to me one day, she said, Andy, we work with a lot of churches, we work with schools, uh, but there's this issue that I have. Gulp, I thought, here we go. She said, they use a whole lot of language that I don't understand. They say gospel this, evangelical that, Jesus blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And then she eyeballed me and she said, Andy, I need you to please tell me what these terms mean. Because if I understand what they mean, I can understand what they're saying to me, I can stop zoning out, I'll understand what they're saying to me and I'll probably be able to serve them a little better. I was gobsmacked. I I I didn't know what to say. And so I said to her, do you realise really what you're asking me? And she said, "What? I didn't. What's the big deal?" And I said, "Well, you're asking me to kind of give you professional development in what Jesus is all about." Yes, yes, please. She said, "That's exactly what I'm asking you. What's the big deal with that?" Wow, I've never had that happen to me before. Never ever had I, have I had someone knock on my office door and said. Please, Andy, in a professional capacity, could you tell me what the heck Jesus is about? Oh, I still, I'm still reeling from it. Uh, we recently had a professional development session where we talked about what all these terms mean. You know, why, why are Christians really thinking about some stuff? Why are they big about forgiveness? Why are they big about love? Where does that come from? We actually had the opportunity to share it now in your corners of the world in the places that you go in the mother's groups and the kindergartens and the workplaces and the committees and the sports clubs those people are also there i beg you i dare you pray for those people to come across your path in such an obvious way that it's like a whack on the head and you say oh This is the person I've been praying about. I didn't know who it would be, but this is the one. Where are those people for you? Are you willing to take Jesus to them? Don't wait for them to walk in these doors. That's a long way away. Will you take Jesus to them? And if it has to happen at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, God bless you. If you're not here and you're having coffee with your unsaved friend, God bless you. That is the gospel. We're actually not here to get attendance scores. As a church, our opportunities are to go and take the gospel to other people. I want you to be praying for me for those opportunities. I, I just got this two-by-four clobbered over the head when this girl walked into my office and said, tell me about Jesus, Annie." I'm so grateful that she asked me. It was kind of a comfort to me. But she could have asked anyone in my workplace. There's plenty of us. And the fact that she already doesn't know is kind of convicting to me. But I want to pray for you for those opportunities too, both personally but also collectively as a church. I want to pray for you. And I'm going to do that I'm going to close uh, and I'm going to pray together. Uh, So why don't you pray with me? Lord God, we know that you love us. We know that you've saved us and we're so grateful for that. And there are times in our lives when we don't have that capture our hearts. We're not bursting with 10,000 reasons to praise the Lord. We're kind of just plotting. And we confess that. We also know that you've given us your Holy Spirit. And we know why you have us here. It's not to get comfortable. It's not to get together and sing. It's actually to share the gospel. It's to make disciples. We know that we need you so desperately. We need to not just think about what we can achieve, but we know we need to think about what you can achieve. So, Lord, I ask that you would give us courage. Give us understanding. Give us compassion. Give us your love. Give us your words to speak. Give us the boldness to put ourselves out there and then wait to see what you do. May we be risk takers, risking humiliation, risking downfall, risking failure. We pray that we would be risk takers for you. So we would stick stick ourselves out there and see what you can do. Lord, give us grace. Give us uh, a way to respond to people so that they think of you more highly than they did before. Give us the joy of knowing that we are doing what you have called us to be doing, and that is to take the gospel to those who don't know it. Lord, give us opportunities to remind each other and to encourage each other in those things. And we ask all those things in Jesus' name. Amen.